So we're going to continue the teaching of what is grace and what is mercy. So when we last left off, we were in the section titled, Salvation is a Free Gift Because of Grace and Mercy. So we're going to be looking tonight at 1 Peter. And last time that I taught, I left you with verse 9. But I want to start at verse 3 because I want to build the background of verse 9. Because verse 9 says, Receiving the end or the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, let's start in verse 3 to get a running start to verse 9. So verse 3, chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, First Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead. When it says begotten us again to a living hope, that means we were dead in our sins. We were DOA, dead on arrival. But Yeshua died for us that we might be reconciled to the Father, be reconciled to God. That phrase, begotten us again, underline that. That Greek word, it's actually a, a word, that whole phrase, begotten us again, is Greek word anageneo. And pardon me, I don't have the number, but I can spell it for you. A-N-A-G-E-N-N-A-O. So when it says he, begot, he has begotten us again, what that literally means is give us new life. To have one's mind changed so that he lives a new life and one conformed to the will of God. So does that sound like you made a profession of faith, now go sin again. So when you have been begotten again, you're born again to God, what does God expect you to do? He expects you to live how He expects you to live, according to His standard, according to His Word. So it's kind of like in the book of Ephesians, right? You used to be what? Gentiles. You used to be Gentiles, meaning you are no longer considered a Gentile. So to have one's mind changed so that he lives a, a new life and one conformed to the will of God. And I would, I'm going to speak for everybody here tonight. I believe we're all trying to live a life that's conformed to the will of God. And how do we live that kind of life? When we live out his commandments, the way he wants us to live. Daniel, I remember when I first, not first, but a few years or so after I came to know the Lord, so, so how well did that work out? Well, you know, you see where I'm at, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so, but I really do remember being a new child in God, thinking, well, God, if you didn't just save me over here as a Baptist, I could smoke, I could drink. You don't require nothing of them. Why is that? But what does God require of His people? He requires, a, he requires, and we're going to see that later on. We're going to see without a certain thing, no one will see God. And we're going to look at that here in just a little bit. All right, verse 4. So, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance 
incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Last week we talked about the goal. If we have the goal in mind, then we know what we're fighting for. We know what we're running to, toward. What does Paul always seem to tend to call his walk with God? He calls it a race. And if you quit the race in the middle, you lose. You lose. <laughs> You lose. And that's what we're going to see. You're disqualified. You're disqualified. And he said, I have to live my life in a way that I do not become disqualified. And that's Paul. That's Paul saying that. That's Saint Paul. Right. So reserved in heaven for you, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In verse 5, the word kept is a present participle. So it's ongoing, continuing action. So as long as we are doing, living within the will of God, it says we are kept by the power of God through what? Through faith. I have that underlined twice in my Bible. Through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I want you to make a note of that word revealed. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. Verse 6. Um, the word revealed, we're going to come back to it in just a moment. In verse 5. So make note of that. And the word kept in verse 5 is a present participle. Continuous action. Verse 6. It says, in this, in what? In our salvation, that is our goal. That is, our thing, that is what we're looking forward to. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, and that's also a present participle, is being tested. Does our faith get tested over and over and over and over? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is tested. Uh, oh, a participle. Continuous action. So, so it's ongoing. So were we tested? Has our faith been tested once upon a time? Like never again. It continues to be tested. Absolutely. So though it is tested, literally it is being tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. Make note of that word too, revelation. Verse 8, Whom having not seen, you love. Doesn't that sound like what he told Thomas? He said, you're blessed because you see me, but blessed, is, blessed are those who haven't seen, but yet what? Believe. Believe. What's that called? Faith. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, there's a participle, a present participle, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So if we continue, verse 8, yet believing, that's a present participle. Do you believe once upon a time and then go sin all you want? Absolutely not. Because if we look back to verse 3, if we've been begotten again, that says we are living a life conformed to the will of God. 
So yet believing, continuing to believe, what are we doing? Verse 9, we're receiving. That's also a present participle. How many times are we seeing this continuous action show up in the Scriptures? Over and over and over again. It's kind of like the apostles and the, and the prophets and all throughout the Scripture, they're trying to tell us, don't lose hope. Don't lose your faith. Don't stop believing. No, I'm not referencing the journey song. <laughs> don't stop believing. Because if you stop believing... Then what? You've become disqualified. Because verse 9 says, Receiving the goal, the end, the telos of your faith. What is the goal of our faith? Salvation of your souls. That's the goal. When we keep that as our goal, doesn't it give us a much more clear focus? Doesn't it make us want to continue on instead of saying, well, I made a profession of faith. I can go do whatever I want to. It's okay. God doesn't care. But if we look at it as the goal, then what kind of focus does that give us? It helps us have a much more clear focus. You get the prize at the beginning of the race. Absolutely. When do you receive the prize? When you win. When you win. Until you endure till the end. Verse 10, let's keep going. Verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. What grace would come to us? Salvation by what? Faith, and that faith produces endurance, and that endurance helps us to reach the what? The goal. The goal. So God gives us grace. What kind of grace does God ever give us? How many times a day do we mess up? Multiple times a day. And what, how, what has God provided a way for us to do? If we mess up, if we sin, what can we do? We can repent and come right back to God. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Verse 11, searching what or of what manner of time the Spirit of Messiah who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Messiah and the glories that would follow. Did you catch that? The Spirit of who was in them? The Spirit of Messiah. So that would have to mean that Messiah has always been. And He was the one who prophesied to them. Who was the one Isaiah saw sitting on a throne high and lifted up? That was Messiah, because he saw the king. And who returns in Revelation 19? The king, king of kings and lord of lords. So the spirit of Messiah who was in them and indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Messiah and the glories that would, what, that would follow. Is there any scripture in what we call the Old Testament that tells about Messiah's suffering? Isaiah 53. Psalm 22, there's plenty of places that we can look to. Verse 12, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Now look at verse 13. 
It says, therefore, how many times have you heard 1 Peter 1.13 started right there? Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Look at what came before it. Look at what you miss if you only start at verse 13. What do we learn from verses 3 through 12? But that salvation is our goal. If salvation is your goal, and these are the things that the, that the prophets of old have prophesied and prophesied about, and you're getting to hear this gospel message preached about salvation by faith and how God is so gracious, verse 13, therefore, there's your therefore. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope, your faith, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. To be literally means being. Being brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. So when we take all of that and look at it together, what is Peter telling us? Is he saying, go live like the world, God doesn't care, you're saved anyway? Or does he tell you, Live soberly. In other words, live in your right mind. Rest your hope, your faith fully upon the grace, that gift of salvation, the goal of salvation that God provided the the way for us that is being brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Now, I told you to make note of of two different words. In verse 7, or verse 5 actually, it was the word revealed. In verse 7, it was the word revelation. In in verse 13, it's also the word revelation. Alright, in verse 5, it says the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is the Greek word apokalupto. Apokalupto. A-P-O-K-A-L-Y-P-O. P-T-O, apocalypto, Greek word 601. That, do you want me to spell it or say it? Spell it, okay. A-P-O-K-A-L-Y-P-T-O, apocalypto. That should sound very familiar. Well, the next one sounds even more familiar. Right, right. So it sounds like the word apocalypse. Do you know why? Because that's where the word apocalypse comes from. This is the verb form of the noun apocalypse. So let's look at verse 7 where we see the word revelation. The word revelation is Greek word 602, which is the word apocalypsis. Or you might say it in English, the apocalypse. Daniel, they really are, when they use the word in a secular way, they're really Yeah, they're perverting the word. Because we're going to look and see in just a moment, like that word should not be as perverted as it is. So apocalypsis, apocalypsis, I'm having to put the stress on a different part, but you spell it A-P-O-K-A-L-Y-P-S-I-S, apocalypsis. And it's Greek word 602. And it's the noun form of apocalypto. A-P-O-K-A-L-Y-P-S-I-S. 
apocalypsis. So, when we look at it as this is where we get the word revelation. So when you look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, how does Revelation 1 verse 1 begin? The revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. The apocalypsis. Now why is that important? Because if we look back at verse 5, what is it that God is revealing in the last time? Salvation by faith. Salvation is the goal that you're working toward. If we look at verse 7, it says that we would glory at the revelation we're being tested that we may that may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Verse 13, rest your hope fully upon the grace, the gift of salvation, the goal of salvation that is being brought to you when? At the revelation of Yeshua Messiah. What is the whole book of Revelation about? How God is providing a way of salvation. Here is the goal of salvation. Some people are going to have to be tried a little harder than others. How many of you want to go through that trying period called the tribulation period? But the people who persevere through that, what is their goal? Salvation. The salvation of their, of their souls. So God provided a way. He is gracious enough that He told us, here's the end would you like to see it from the balcony view? <laughs> Would you like to see it from here? So that's how gracious God is. He provides the way. Here's the goal of salvation. Here's how you attain it. Now you get to decide which course you want to go. I prefer the rapture. I prefer the rapture. So according to 1 Peter... What is the goal of our faith? Salvation of your souls. That is your goal. And how do we achieve that goal? Is it a one-time belief or is it a continual believing? It is a continual believing. If the people in the wilderness had kept that goal in mind, would they have stopped believing? No. Because why didn't they enter into their rest? Because they lacked faith. Which is a gift of God. Which is a gift of God. Because how, how do we... Why do we continue doing what we're doing? I believe there is a millennial kingdom. I believe the promises of God. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be here. But I believe those promises of God and I'm going to continue believing. Because why? That's the goal. That's what I'm attaining to. If you, believe, if you don't believe in that goal, then what does your faith start to do? It starts to wane. It starts to fade away. And then that leads to what? Rebellion. That leads to those things that cause the people to fall in the wilderness. Let's go to Jude chapter 1. Or I should just say Jude, verse 21. <laughs> it's a funny thing 
how the book of Jude reads an awful lot like 2 Peter chapter 2. In places, they almost read identical. It's almost like they were sitting side by side when they wrote their epistles. But what does that tell you about the issues of that time and the issues that we're facing today? They're the same issues. They're important enough that they need to be reiterated over and over. And what is the issue that Jude is trying to warn people about? Beware of false teachers. What was Peter trying to warn about? Beware of false teachers. What was Paul trying to teach people about? Beware of false teachers. Because what do the false teachers teach? They teach a false doctrine, which makes your faith start to what? Which causes your faith to wane, to go away, leading you into sin. Can I interject something, Daniel? Absolutely. While I was gone, Julie sent me in a text. She had been listening to a preacher on the radio, and she put in, in his words in a quote, Don't be an ordinary sinner. Be an extraordinary sinner so God can show how abundantly graceful and merciful he is. It's a funny thing. I've never read that in the scripture where God calls people to be extraordinary sinners. Me neither. It's a new chapter in book. It's a new chapter in book. Okay. But in 1 Peter, what did we see? It says, begotten us again. We live at not the same life, but a new life conformed to the will of God. That does not sound to me like live like an extraordinary sinner. It does not. Whew. That might light a fire under me. <laughs> yeah. 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 You said it. All right. So, what does God over and over and over? It doesn't matter if you start at Genesis and read all the way to Revelation. God is always sending warning of false teaching. Because there will be false teaching that will lead people away from the faith. Look at verse 20, and then that will lead us into verse 21. It says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah unto what? Eternal, Eternal life. Doesn't that read almost identical to what we just saw in Peter? Your goal is what? Eternal life. So what does that mean salvation is synonymous with? Eternal life. Salvation, eternal life. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God looking. I bet you can guess what kind of word that is. It is a present participle. Continuous action. So does that mean once upon a time you looked for the mercy of God? Or do you continue day by day, moment by moment, looking for the mercy of God, looking for the, for the mercy of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah unto eternal life? At His revelation. At His revealing. So looking for the mercy. That word mercy is the Greek word elios. E-L-E-O-S. So looking for the mercy of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, unto eternal life. 
And how merciful is God that He provided that way, that way of salvation. How merciful is God? Do we deserve that mercy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's what mercy is. Unmerited favor. But God was so gracious, He provided a way for us to reach that goal. Alright, so we're going to move on to a new topic. So we look to see that salvation is a free gift because of grace and mercy. And what is salvation? We just read it in 1 Peter. We just read it in Jude. What is salvation? It is the goal of our faith. It's the goal. So salvation, eternal life, whatever term you prefer, that's our goal. So the fifth and final topic we're going to look at is our grace and mercy a free pardon to sin. How would Paul put it? Major noito. Major noito. No way. Ain't no way. Right. So let's go, speaking of major noito, let's go to Romans chapter 6. Verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 16, because the word grace appears several times in Romans chapter 6. And you're going to see this is, and we've read this scripture so many times. But I want you to look at how Paul says that God expects you Yes, you, to live in a way that's in agreement with His commandments. So does He want you to continue to be a, what was, what was it again, an incredible sinner? What was the word? Extraordinary. Extraordinary sinner. Let's read verse 1 and let's see the answer to that. Can you back up to verse 21 and get a run and start? Okay. So that is sin reigned in death. This is Romans 5.21. So that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to what? Eternal life through Yeshua Messiah our Lord. Righteousness. What is righteousness? The opposite of lawlessness. And y'all, there's so many, there are so many words that we just gloss over. And every word that God puts in here is so important. How many times have we read the word righteousness? And I'm not just talking about in here. I'm talking about just over the course of our lives. We've read that word righteousness and never given it a second thought. Righteousness is the opposite of lawlessness. Lawlessness is what? According to 1 John 3, 4. Sin. So righteousness is the opposite of sin. So grace might reign through righteousness to what? Eternal life. Do you see anything saying you can be an extraordinary sinner and still attain eternal life? Or even a portion of it. No. Through Yeshua, through Yeshua the Messiah of our Lord. So then chapter 6 verse 1. Here's the answer to that question. What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, may abound? Abound means, if you look at the word in the Greek, it means to exist in abundance, to increase, to be multiplied. Do we continue in sin that grace is just poured out on us in abundance? What does Paul say? Majinoito. Certainly not. God forbid, ain't no way. So if Paul heard a teacher saying, you're just an extraordinary sinner, he would say, yes, you are. Repent. That's what he would say. Repent. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? If you are saved if you have made that profession of faith and salvation is your goal, then why would you continue living in sin? He says, why would you live any longer in it? Because if you continue living in it, then are you on the narrow path or the broad path? And what does the broad path lead to? Destruction. And it's funny, in Matthew 7 where that's mentioned, What's the very next thing that Messiah talks about? Beware of false teachers. Because those false teachers are going to tell you, hey, you can sin and God doesn't care. Does God care? I think the greatest thing they're doing today is they never got saved in the first place. I mean, I know that I was a heather. I didn't know a thing about God. Not just a heathen, but a heathern. Yeah, yeah. That 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 carries a much stronger connotation. Yes, I understand. Yes. That's at the bottom of my feet. Right. But when Jesus saved me from that moment on, I got up from the altar. I didn't cuss. I didn't want to smoke. I didn't want to be mean anymore. I mean, I'd slit your throat, dude, in a heartbeat. That's just the type of person I was. I'm glad you're not. So. I mean, but you know, look what God. If God can do that for me. Right. And save me from the filth and the rubbish that I was in. Then I'm telling you, I'm, I'm saying these other people didn't meet my Jesus. And <laughs> right. And do you view that event as a one-time thing, or do you view your walk as a continual walk? Because every day you learn something new, and that's what God expects. What, does, what did the Lord through the prophet Hosea say about His people? My people what? Perish for lack of knowledge. So if you want to continue in that walk and grow in the way God intends for you to grow, you have to grow in knowledge. And what is knowledge according to the Scripture? It's His Torah. It's His instruction. His way of think, doing things. Verse 4. Or verse 3, it says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Messiah Yeshua were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried in Him through baptism unto, into death, just as Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. We should walk in newness of life. Doesn't that echo again Ephesians chapter 4? Do, we, do you continue living the way that the Gentiles do? Absolutely not. You're a new man. You're a new creation. So walk in newness of life. 
Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves or servants of sin. He's going he's to hit that point head on here in just a moment about being a slave of sin or a servant of sin. For if he who has died has been freed, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Messiah, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Messiah, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died once to sin for all. So how many times did Messiah have to, de- have to die to provide that perfect sacrifice? One. One time. One time. You mean it doesn't happen every time we have a mass? He dies Unfortunately, again. no. Unfortunately, no. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. But alive, I bet you can guess what kind of word that is. Alive, it's a present participle. You are continuing this action, but alive to God in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. So does God expect you to continue that walk day by day and keep yourself alive to God in Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we are to be alive to God, look at how verse 12 begins. Therefore. Therefore means, let's draw an application. If you're to be alive to God, here's what you need to do. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it be your king. Don't let it be your king. That you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as, in, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That phrase, do not present, that's a command. So Paul's saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present, that's also a command, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. So Paul is using some pretty, I would say, harsh tones, but I would call it righteous indignation. He's pounding the podium, kind of like how Moses does when he's giving commands to the children of Israel. But why is Paul being so adamant about this? He's going on and on and on because he knows after he's gone who's going to come in and try to lead the people astray. The false teachers. So he's saying, present your members as instruments. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Being alive, that's a participle. That's continuous action. Does it make you think of Ezekiel 33.11? Let's look at it and see, and I'll let you know. Ezekiel 33, I know, is all about God doesn't... 
God doesn't want even an unrighteous man to perish. But He desires all men everywhere to come to Him. Absolutely. God's pretty happy about that too. Yep. Ezekiel 33, 11. Verse 11 says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, it should say, My Lord, the Lord, because God is the Tetragrammaton, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn away Turn from His way and live. Turn, turn are those commands. Shuvu, shuvu. How many times did He tell them? Twice. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? So when God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from His way and live, what is Paul saying? Instead of dying like the wicked, Present yourselves to God. Stay in the faith. Don't give up. Repent and live. Repent and live. Now, is this just Old Testament? Because somebody might just say, well, that's that old, mean Old Testament God. Is this re- almost repeated word for word in the New Testament? Second no. Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Look how God, gracious God is. He is, not long-suffer- he is long-suffering toward us. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but all should what? Come to repentance. Does that almost sound exactly word for word what we read in Ezekiel? I do not desire that you should die in your sins. Turn and live. Turn means to repent. So if we go back to Romans chapter 6. It says, Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, 4, here's why. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Charis. There's that word grace again. So in other words, sin won't have dominion over you because you're not trying to earn your salvation through your own works and your own merit. Because what happens, let's say I'm trying to earn my salvation through my own righteousness, through my own work, through my own merit, and I, up, I commit a sin. You just blew the whole I blew the whole thing. What book of the Bible tells us if you commit one sin, you've broken the whole law? James. The book of James. Go to the book of James chapter 2. Verse 10. James chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For whoever... What does, for, what does whoever mean? Anybody. This is not just exclusive to one person or one group of people. It says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point... 
he is what? Guilty of all. So what does that mean? And I think Solomon put it very well. He said, there is not a man who doesn't what? Sin. In other words, we all sin. So if you stumble in one point, you're guilty of all. So how would that be? How would sin have dominion over you if you're trying to earn your salvation through your own works and your own merit? Yeah, can you forgive yourself of your own sins? Nope. No. no, absolutely not. There's one way of salvation. What did Messiah say in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes into the Father but by me. So can we earn our way to the Father through our own works, leaving God out of the equation? Never. Absolutely not. For you should... Mejinoito. For you shall not, for you are not under law, but under grace. So grace provides a way for you to attain that goal. Because if you sin, what does the scripture in 1 John say? We have an advocate with who? The Father. We have an advocate with the Father. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? What was his answer? Mejinoito. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave or servant whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? How many categories do we have here? Two, two categories. We have two categories. Sin leading to death of obedience leading to righteousness. It says, but God be thanked that you were that you were, that though you were slaves of sin, meaning you're not anymore, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine or teaching to which you were delivered. I don't want to go on an Ibex trail, but that word doctrine just jumped off the page at me. What does Second Timothy, what does Paul tell Timothy doctrine is? All Scripture. And what is Scripture according to Paul? That which is theonuptos. That which is God-breathed. So anywhere where you see in the Scripture, the Word of the Lord came to me saying, what can we guarantee without a doubt, what can we call that? Doctrine. That is doctrine. That is Scripture. And what does John chapter 10 say Scripture cannot be? Broken. So Scripture cannot be broken. So if you're being presented with a form of broken doctrine, oh, let's say law's been abolished, God has abolished this commandment, this commandment, this commandment, this commandment, only this much of the Bible applies to you, that's broken doctrine. That's broken teaching. And what does, this, what does the Scripture warn us about false teachers? They're not going to lead... Stay away. Stay away. Stay away. So let me point out, there's almost a paradox in verse 16 where it says, whether of sin leading to death, sin is transgression of the Torah, mm -hmm. the commandments, mm -hmm. or of, of obedience leading to righteousness, and obedience is obeying the Torah. Right. And yet, you know, we read we're not under the law. We're not, because it was our schoolmaster to bring us to Messiah. We're not under it now, under the condemnation of it, under the penalty of breaking it, but we 
are the servants now of obedience to keeping the Torah. Right. So why do it's why a, do we keep Torah? It sounds like a paradox, but we keep Torah because of the the one thing that really isn't part of the study, love. We love God and we prove it by keeping his commandments. We're not trying to prove it, but the fact that we keep his commandments is the proof. It's the show and tell. So that but that arm that's not about grace and mercy. That's another arm or leg of the whole equation. Yeah, you know, and it's where, it's where you get into the whole thing about works because there's a work that will condemn. condemn pretty much, but then how do you prove that your faith is real? By your works. By your works. Yes, ma'am. He was saying in verse 16 that there's, it almost seems like there's a paradox because we can't earn our salvation through keeping the law, but we prove that our obedience is real by keeping His commandments, by keeping the law. So you can see how a lot of people will throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And, and then the fact that we're trying to keep the law isn't proof that we are born again because some people that aren't born again try to keep the law. There's a whole nation for So you say, I'll show you my faith by my works. Yes, sir. But the word under there is not translated correctly. It should be of our through. Right, it's the word it's a word hoopa. Yeah. So it means we're not trying to earn our salvation through keeping commandments. And if you think about the whole th you know, the in verse fifteen where it says shall we sin, what is sin? Sin's transgression of the law. So if we say the law's done away with, then there's no more what? Sin. There's no more sin. So then you've really created a paradox there, right? Okay. You've created more than that. So, trying to earn salvation makes you a slave to sin because just one sin makes you guilty of all. And we read that in James chapter 2, verse 11. So for grace to abound, for grace to be in abundance, how must we live? Do we live in sin or do we live according to His standard? We live according to His standard in order for grace to abound. Because if you go back to chapter 5, verse 21, it says, grace might reign through what? Righteousness. Righteousness, not lawlessness. To, which means to the goal of eternal life. Alright, go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Right. I mean, like, God, God is gracious to all because He gives us that opportunity to what? To repent. But God is very gracious to those who what? To those who repent. To those who are obedient to His commandments. Right. You know, it's kind of like, and I was just... Uh, the other day, after... You know, your second presentation, I was reading the uh, Torah portion, you know, the last Torah portion of the, the year. And in Joshua chapter 1, and I wrote down these notes, and I'm skipping some of the stuff, some of the words, and, and it, it starts out, and all the people, and that's the children of Israel. And, and that goes, that's the, all right, well, 
in the congregation of Jacob, Israel and the Gentiles living among them. Uh, and they're all referred to Israelites or mixed multitude. And the people whom you have redeemed. You know, that's out of Exodus and Deuteronomy. But, uh, and all the people, the children of Israel, keep the faith. Be strong. Be very courageous. <coughs> Observe to do according to God's word. Do not turn from it that you may prosper. And, and don't, uh, and it does, uh, don't, don't let it depart from your mouth. You're saying it daily. You're talking to your, your, your neighbors, your children. You meditated on that day and night. And you again observe to do. Then you will prosper. Right. So you see how it's all conditional. And, and make your way uh, prosperous. And then you will have good success. Yeah. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. The Lord, yod your God, Elohim, is with you wherever you go. And it's all if then. Yeah, if when, then. When then. Yeah, it's all cause and effect, isn't yeah. it? You do this, this happens. Absolutely. And that's what you see throughout the Scripture. If then, if yeah. then. So let's look at verse 26 of Hebrews chapter 10. And the second word is, for if. If. So it kind of goes along with what you were just saying. So it says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. In verse 26, do you see the, where it says, for if we sin. What kind of word do you suppose that is? It's a present participle. So does that mean a one-time uh-oh boo-boo? No. Or does that mean iniquity, a lifestyle characterized by continuous sin? For if you continue sinning willfully, after you have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but here's what does remain, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will, be he, th will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, common, and insulted the Spirit of grace? So that spirit of grace that reveals Yeshua to us, if we just count it as a common thing, as something that's just ordinary, what does, does that break a commandment? Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God, His name in vain. So what should we not count His name as? Something that's worthless, common. A common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Verse 30 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. In verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Daniel, yes, sir. Go back to Samson. Yes. Samson was a Nazarite from birth. 
Yes. And yet he was involved with three different Gentile women. Yes. So at the end of his life, because he did he repent because God answered his prayer? I believe he repented because if because what did he pray? Right. So what does that show that that was just in abundance? What was God waiting for out of Samson? That prayer of repentance. Because if he if God did not hear his prayer, how successful would he have been in pushing those pillars down? It'd be about like me trying to go in and pushing those down. Not very successful. So did God hear his prayer? Absolutely, because the Bible even recognizes says he killed more Philistines that day than he had ever in his life. So, did God hear his prayer of repentance? Absolutely. Because what do we read from Proverbs 28.9? What, what is the prayer of one who turns away his ear from hearing the Torah? It's an abomination. So it's an abomination. So it seems like Samson had to come to his lowest point in order for God to hear his prayer. But did he repent? I believe he did, absolutely. So, this is proof that you can't continue in sin once you profess to being a believer. And we read that also in Romans chapter 6. And I'm pretty sure the scripture is going to be consistent across the board. Alright, flip over to Hebrews 12. So we're already in Hebrews, flip over to Hebrews 12. We talked about this earlier, and now we're going to read it. Alright, Romans or Hebrews 12, we're going to read verses 14 and 15. It says, pursue peace with a few people. <laughs> What's it say? Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short, it literally says, lest anyone be failing of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled or unclean. And what does, the, what does Paul tell us in 2 Corinthians 6 to do with that unclean thing? Don't cling to it. So does God expect us to live a life that's characterized by that? Absolutely not. Because look at verse 14. It says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see God. And then the next thing says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That word holiness, without which no one will see God. That word holiness, it should sound very familiar. It's the word hagiosmos. Hagiosmos. H-A-G-I-A-S-M-O-S. Hagiosmos. And that's Greek word G38. And I want us to look at another place where that word hagiosmos is used. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2.
I'll look at something real quick. Has everyone found First Second Thessalonians? Yes. All right. I'm checking something to make sure I'm telling you right. Because silly me, I forgot to write down the word, which word it is. That's what I'm checking to see. Ah, there it is. All right. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through what? Sanctification. That's the word hagiasmas. So the same word in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, as holiness is translated here as what? sanctification through sanctification by the spirit and what belief in the truth Psalm 19 verse 142 what is truth Torah is truth so it says from the beginning God chose you for salvation and what did we learn tonight from the book of first Peter salvation is the what is the goal. Chose you for salvation, here's how you get it. Through sanctification or holiness, without which no one will what? See God. By the Spirit and belief in the truth. What does that belief coincide with? Your faith. Your faith. Belief in the truth. Yes, it does, because that's the characteristic of a saint. Hagias, the holy ones, literally, the holy ones. So, yes, ma'am. Peace, without which what? And what do you think he's really emphasizing right there? Which which phrase do you think he's really trying to drive home? Holiness. Pursue peace with all people. Does that mean everyone's going to get along with you? No. But what should we really be pursuing? Holiness. Sanctification. Getting the sin out of your life and not being a, I keep forgetting it, an incredible sinner. Extraordinary, Extraordinary sinner. You can't live a sanctified life if you're living as an extraordinary sinner. You can't do it. All right, 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture because we come here a lot to read verses 14 through 16. But we're going to read verses 14 through 18. The word grace, charis, is in verse 18. But I want to get a running start for how it's used in context. Verse 14 says, Therefore, beloved, because we're looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, 
Be diligent to be found by Him in peace. Does that mean half-heartedly? No. Be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. Tamim. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Because what does He all want us to do? He, all want, he wants us to all reach the goal. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught, literally ignorant and unlearned people, unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. So does Peter say the people who twist the Scriptures are full of knowledge and full of wisdom? He calls them what? Ignorant and unlearned. Do you want to, be, do you want to fall into that category? Absolutely not. Then look at verse 17. It says, You therefore... And you've got to keep in mind, these words are written by a simple fisherman. A simple, exactly, a simple fisherman, when he was speaking at the day of Pentecost, what were the other people saying? Is this not a Galilean? A country bumpkin? And he's telling people, listen to what he tells them. He says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and... What's that next word? Knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Grow in His grace. So we avoid the error of the wicked, the false teaching, by continuing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. You can't have one without the other. So you have, you have to grow in that grace through His knowledge. Yes? These people aren't only untaught and unstable, they're proud and right. unteachable. Exactly. Yes. They're pr- he said they're, she said they're not only untaught, unlearned, but they're unteachable. Like there's no way of getting through to them. That's a hard thing to do. It, it is. It's a very hard thing. So... It seems like Paul also mentioned these people in First Timothy 4, their conscience is being seared with what? A hot iron. So if your conscience is seared with a hot iron, how teachable are you? You've been given over to that reprobate mind. It's hard. It's hard. But do these people, even though it says they're ignorant and unlearned in the Scriptures... Do they speak enticing words that make people want to follow them? Absolutely. Those ear-tickling messages that Paul warned Timothy about that people would follow in the last days. And do people continue to follow those same ear-tickling messages? Yes, Yes, they do. What's that word in verse 11? What kind of conduct is God looking for? It says, in verse 11... It says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What kind of conduct? Holy conduct. Holy conduct. What did God say 
in the book of Leviticus chapter 11 after he said, don't eat all these things. He said, be ye holy or I am holy. So he's saying, be holy because I'm holy. And Peter even mentions it in 1 Peter. If we would have kept reading after, hey, salvation is your goal, be holy because the Lord's holy. So live a sanctified life. Live that life of holiness because without holiness, what? No one sees God. Yes, ma'am. Back in verse 16. Yes, as they also do the rest of the scriptures. That means the Old Testament. And what did Paul tell Timothy? What did he call the scriptures? That which we would call the Old Testament. And he said those scriptures are able to make one wise unto salvation. So that means you can read the Old Testament and still learn about Messiah. In the one that I just referenced. Second Timothy. So go to Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture because it tells you what Scripture is. But the verse that you're asking for is verse 15. So Second Timothy 3:15. So this is Paul talking to Timothy. It says, And that from childhood you have known the what? The Holy Scriptures. So 2 Timothy 3.15. That from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Messiah Yeshua. That means the Old Testament teaches us about Messiah. What a shock. What was the Ethiopian eunuch reading when Philip ran up to him? Isaiah 53. And what did he say? He said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody, what? Teaches me. Unless somebody teaches me. So we see how important knowledge is. Because if we look at verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, it says, all Scripture or every Scripture, every single Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Eh. What is that? Theonutos. God breathed. It came out of the mouth of God and is profitable. That means it's good for doctrine. That's teaching. Reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So in other words, the Scripture teaches you how to live holy. How to live a life that is acceptable to God. Exactly. That's what the Scripture is. If you want to know how to live a holy life, that's what the Scriptures are for. Yes, Edmund? Um, on that subject about... Uh, uh, like you said earlier, the only scripture Jesus had is the Tanakh. Right. And Luke twenty four twenty seven. Mm -hmm. I was looking at this this week. Luke twenty four twenty seven. Uh, on the road to Emmaus. Right. He says, um, 
starting with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things that can be found throughout the, the Tanakh concerning himself. Absolutely, yeah. That, that says it's all there. Right. Do you think that was a one-minute conversation? <laughs> no, that would have been a very lengthy conversation. Yeah. That would have been yeah, absolutely... It's all there, because there, there was no scriptures, you know, people that say, oh, well, I'm into the New Testament, you know, because I'm a Christian. Well, it's all there. That says very specifically, and I've followed other cases, right. where you get that thread running all the way through. Right. Um, all there, everything that Jesus said is in the Old Testament. Right, right. So, I mean, where did where did he quote from when he would quote Scripture when he was being tempted in the wilderness? Where did he quote from? Deuteronomy. He quoted from the Scriptures. Absolutely. So he, um, Edmund was referencing Luke 24, 27. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So like I said to him, tongue-in-cheek, do you think that was a one-minute conversation? If he expounded, that means he was really going into detail. 24, 27. Yeah, Luke 24, 27. You're welcome. And what does Peter call the commandments of God in 2 Peter 2, 21? 2 Peter 2, 21. What does... How Peter. Peter refer to the commandments. Second Peter two twenty one. It says, "For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them." So when you turn from following the ways of God, it says you're turning from the way of righteousness and the holy commandments. Yep, Hagios. It is the Torah. Okay, expound on that part where Not the Ten Commandments, right? Right, all of them. To turn away from. I'm sorry, what? When you said to turn away from, you were better not to know. Okay, verse 21. 2 Peter 2, 21. It says, It would have been better to have not known the way of righteousness, to never come to any kind of saving faith, never to have made a profession of faith and started walking in the way of righteousness, then having known it and turn away from the Holy Commandment. So in other words, stopping the race. So you're saying that it would be better... Well, I'm not saying the, the, know, yeah, the Scriptures are saying, right. If they don't accept Jesus, if they can't make the race complete. Right, because if you know the way of righteousness and you turn from it, the judgment is more severe. Because what did, so think about in the book of Revelation at the church of Laodicea when the Lord is telling them, He said, I'd rather you be what? Hot or cold. Either on fire or just dead. Nothing at all. Because if you're lukewarm, you still get the same what as the cold. <laughs> The same punishment, the same penalty. He said, I vomit you out of my mouth. Look at verse 22. It says, But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow having washed to her wallowing, wallowing in the mire. 
Judas Iscariot followed Messiah for more than three years, and what did he do then? He turned and returned to his own vomit. He sold Messiah for 30 pieces of silver that he just chucked at the feet of the priest. So what did that silver gain him? Abso his own place according to Acts chapter 1, right. His own place. Alright, let's go back to Jude. Jude. We're going to read verses 3 and 4. The key verse is 4 because that's where the word charis is, or grace. But I want to read verse 3. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, and remember, salvation is the what? It's the goal. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So, in other words, Jude is telling the people to fight for the faith because what is happening in these congregations? False teachers. False teachers. Verse 4, four, certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. So it says these false teachers turn the grace of our God into lewdness. What would that mean that they're teaching? The, the commandments have been abolished. Go live it up. Go do what you want to do. God doesn't care. Does that doctrine, does it have a name in Scripture that the Lord brings out above all and says, I hate this? The Nicolaitans. Turn to Revelation 2. So who turn the grace of our God into lewdness. So they're saying, this is what grace is. And what is God saying? No, it's not. No, it's not. God is saying, I'm, I'm not giving you what you deserve. And these false teachers are saying, oh, grace is just, go live it up. So we have two definitions of what grace is, according to how God views it, and then what these false teachers are portraying it as. Revelation 2.6, it says, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now that doesn't really tell us what the deeds of the Nicolaitans are, but if we keep reading in Revelation 2, kind of gives us a little bit more information. So go down to verse 14. It tells us again, this is to the church at Pergamos. It says, verse 14, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to do what? To eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. 
So what are the Nicolaitans teaching? Lawlessness. So in other words, they have taken the grace of God and turned it into what? Lewdness. What kind of lewdness are we talking about here? Sexual immorality. Eating food sacrificed to idols. Those things which characterize what? Pagan idolatry. Pagan idolatry. So, these are the words. These words are written in red. These are the words of the Lord. Does He like when people eat things sacrificed to idols? No. So, He says, in what? In verse 16. Repent or else. Repent or else. Else, yes, ma'am. What is something that would be considered food sacrificed to idol? Anything that's been prayed to in the name of another god, like halal. Like halal, right? So anything that's been prayed to in the name of another god would be a food sacrifice to idol. Yes, sir. The Nicolaitans, yes. In riding the fence, you can have your salvation and you can still play over here in the sin. And see, that's exactly why the Lord says, I hate it. And that sounds like to me 85% of the church, the world today. And 85%, yeah, 85% is probably a very kind, you know, a very kind <laughs> estimate. But, it's, but you're absolutely right. He says, you know, you're, you have those that teach this doctrine that you can syncretize. You can have your cake and eat it too. But then if you look at, the, at chapter 3, verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Verse 15, it says, I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will what? Vomit you out of my mouth. So, Pat, going back to what you're saying, if we straddle the fence like what the Nicolaitans are saying, how does God view that? He says, come judgment day, I'll what? I will spew you out of my mouth. Yep, exactly. So does God want us to straddle the fence? Does He want us to take those things which He calls an abomination put a little anointing oil on it and call it holy. holy. Just read verse 19. Exactly. Verse 19. It says, be zealous and repent. That means get on fire. Get on fire. Because what did he say? I want you to be hot. He said, you either be cold or hot. Don't be lukewarm. But you know he's saying, I want you to be hot. I want you to be on fire. Be zealous for me and repent. Absolutely. Yes. We try to say that since Torah was our tutor, now we've graduated. Right. But the whole that to say that is to ignore what a tutor is. Right. A tutor isn't a babysitter. Mm -mm. You know, the tutor teaches you how to be safe. If you compare it to going to through driving school, 
you don't then throw out all the rules the moment you get your license. Unless you're 16, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand. What, I know exactly what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. I mean. Even a baby gate is right. there to keep the baby from falling down. And eventually you take that baby gate away. But not until the child has learned to walk upright. Right. And not just hurl himself headlong. Yeah. You, you, ha you take those baby steps in order to... To learn to do it safely. Yeah, to become to maturity, right? And that Greek word is not tutor, what is it? It's um, pedagogos. It's a bodyguard. A bodyguard, a, exactly. Um, right. A trusted servant to protect the children. Daniel. Hold on just a minute. I mean, I would think it would have to help the newborn child, the new Christian, come in undergird him and teach him and raise him up to be so they can stand on their own two feet and go forth and reproduce. Right. Yes, Edmund. The pedagogical guy, he taught all the etiquette, how you were to interact with both in the household right. and in the wider society. And you learn that, you may arrive at a point where you've um, matured and you're, you're no longer being taught as a child, but you've learned all the things that he's taught you. You don't abandon them. Right. You still have to learn those protocols. Right. He taught all the protocols. He taught where you were in society, what your proper, you know, where you would sit in the society. Right. And that is it, it's something that puts him in you for when you leave him, it's still there. Right. It's like learning the piano. You don't forget what the teacher has taught you. Exactly. I mean, y'all are talking my language because, I mean, I'm, I'm a school teacher. And if I teach something to the students, do I expect them to forget it? I expect them to take it and apply it. You won't need this in the fifth Yeah, you, this will be abolished next year, <laughs> but it's applicable now. No. What ha as a teacher, I take what they already know and I help them build on that. And then once they leave me, then I expect them to continue in what they've been taught. You know, so that's exactly how God is with us. So, if you look at Hebrews chapter 5, just a scripture just came to my mind a few moments ago. Hebrews 5, when Becky was talking about taking up, you know, taking down the baby gate. You don't take down the baby gate if there's still a newborn. You wait until they're walking, then you take down the baby gate. So, if you look at Hebrews 5.12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God or the scriptures. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of what? Full age. Maturity. That is, those who by reason of use, that means using, <laughs> have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. To me, that sounds very much like an age of accountability. When your senses are exercised to discern both good and evil, then it says you're of what? Full age, solid food. In other words, you're now accountable. You're now a man. But he's saying to these people who should be 
on the, quote, solid food, he's saying you're still in need of milk because you haven't reached that spiritual maturity. Look at verse 1. It says, therefore, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Messiah, <laughs> and he, he's, it's kind of like he's saying, grow up. Grow up. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Repentance and faith, he said, are very foundational, elementary principles. Absolutely. And what have we lost in the church today? You don't have to repent. Repentance, that's a work. You're trying to earn your salvation. Shame on me. Yeah. I mean, so what? what's that? All the love of God. Yeah, it's all love, 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 love. But, you know, the Bible speaks of love. But love is a what? But love is an action. And it says, this is how you love God. Go to 1 John 3. 1 John 5. 1 John 5. I turned to 1 John 5, but I said 1 John 3. Because it's verse 3. 1 John 5, 3. So part of it was right. But let's, like, we got to start at verse 2. Verse 1, actually. It says, For whoever believes that Yeshua is the Messiah is born of God. And everyone who loves him also begot, loves him who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, what? That we keep His commandments. So how do we show God that we love Him? Do we say, Lord, I love you, but I'm not going to do a thing you say? I mean, that sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth, but when you say the commandments have been abolished, in essence, what are you telling God? God, I love you, but I'm not going to do a thing that you say. So how do you show God that you love Him? Through your obedience to His commandments. How about 2 John verse 6? 2 John verse 6. Some translations use the word guard. Keep and guard. I'm not sure right. exactly how that's different. But it's the same Hebrew it's the same, word. Shamar. It's the shamar. same, yeah. It's yeah. the same Hebrew word. So like when you guard something, you're keeping it. You're it's valuable to you. It. Yeah, you're preserving it. You're keeping it. It's valuable to you as if you want to guard it. Oh, so that's what it means precious. to shamar. Yeah, it's precious. It's not something that you just... Right. So second... Yes, Sam? Right. Back in First John 5, yes. Uh-huh. How does the Lord call His commandments in Deuteronomy 6? The commandment. Go to Deuteronomy 6, 1. When they ask the Lord which are the most important commandments in the Torah, yeah. neither of the two yeah. responds from the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Neither of those are in the Ten Commandments. And He says they're the most important. And then He said, we'll go to that one. 
Go to Deuteronomy 6, because there's, there's more there than I can just tell you. We'll just we'll go look at it. So Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. So this is how God views the commandments. It says, now this is what? The commandment. And these are the statutes and the judgments with the Lord, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So when he says this is the commandment, you can't take those commandments and say, oh, let's put them in three categories called moral, judicial, and ceremonial. Yeah, it says, "You shall walk in all the ways the Lord, all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you." How many ways? Some of the ways. No, all the ways, all of the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. So it says, "This is." That was just the previous verse, verse thirty-three, chapter five. So the commandment is to keep them all. That's it. That's all you got to do. And then don't pick and choose. Because if you start saying you can keep these over here because they're moral, but you can't keep these because they're ceremonial, then what are you doing? You're taking the commandment and trying to break it into categories. God never breaks it into categories. He says this is the commandment. The commandment. All right, go to Matthew. This will go right along with what Wayne was saying about the two great commandments in the law. Matthew 22. So, Melanie, this will help answer your question. So, when you say to people, keep the commandments. This is the love of God. Keep the commandments. And they say, oh, just the ten? Or keep the, just the nine? Remember that fourth time. Yeah. You mean the one that is the promise of the kingdom? The, we just do away with that? Okay. Don't, don't get me started on that. Alright, so here we go. Verse 36. We'll start at verse 34 for context. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher. You can almost hear the snarkiness. Teacher. Which is the great commandment in the law? Yeshua said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the Ve'ahavta. Where's that from? Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. So, Melanie, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and great commandment. And verse 38 says, This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Verse 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19. Verse 18. So neither, is in the Ten Commandments. neither of those is in the Ten Commandments. But look at verse 40. Look at how he just wraps it all up in one nice little package. Just for those people who might say, Oh, we only have two commandments. <laughs> verse 40. Verse 40. On these two commandments hang what? All 
all the law and the prophets. If you look at that word hang in Greek, it literally means is summed up. So we can say these two commandments sum up all the law and the prophets. I kind of visualize you have these two commandments hanging up and then you have other commandments hanging underneath them because they either fall in one or the other category. So if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, what will you not do? You will have no other gods before Him. You will not worship other gods. You'll keep His Sabbath because He said these, this is my Sabbath. Yes. Can you not see how complicated this can be to the world? They thought you were only wanting them to keep nine, and now there's a whole lot more. Yeah. Why did why did why did the Lord stop with ten? Does that mean he was done? No. Because what did the people say? Stop. Stop. And tell the rest of Moses and we'll do it. Forty days later, he comes down from the mountain. What happened? That, yeah, they're worse than a golden calf. So, Melanie, does that help answer your question? You're welcome. So, if, we, if somebody says, which commandments? Verse 40 says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, if you look at 2 John, verse 6. Oh, yeah. Because I think that really helps to undergird everything you've just said. Second John, verse 6. There's only one. It's one of those books you can just flip right past. Yeah, it could fit on one page probably. Yeah. Alright, Second John, verse 6. It says, this is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. From the beginning. beginning. So does that mean when the Messiah told the disciples, I give you a new commandment that you should love one another, do you think He was kind of saying like, you should actually do it? You should maybe try it? (laughs) Maybe you should try it? So this is love that we walk according to His commandments. So doesn't that sound almost identical to what He said in 1 John 5? This is how you love God, by keeping His commandments. So if you try to pick another way of saying, Lord, this is how I love you, and it's not something that's according to His commandments, then what are you not showing God? You're not showing Him you love Him. So this is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Do you think this is a one-time used to walk or do you think it's an ongoing walk, an ongoing action? Ongoing. Ongoing. All right. So let's wrap all of this up. So here's the conclusion. So I want to read you a quote from a website called rethinknow.org and the title of this little section is called What is God's Grace? And I feel like this quote kind of encompasses the whole teaching. So these are not my words, but I thought that these words were very powerful. It says, We think freedom is doing whatever we want to do when we want to do it. I call that sin nature, but 
That might appear to be freedom, but that kind of life doesn't set you free. It enslaves you. How many people do you see they have what appears they have everything in the world that they want? Money, power, fame. And are they ever truly happy? No. Just they have they have just a little bit in the world. But that kind of life doesn't set you free, it enslaves you. Back to the quote. Grace frees us and allows us to live as God intended. When people look at the rules, and that word is in quotes, when people look at the rules God gave His children, many people scoff. Any good parent, but this is a however, any good parent gives their children rules. I can amen that as a teacher. (laughs) I see plenty. Because what does the Scripture say If God does not chastise you, you're not what? You're not His child. You're illegitimate. That's a a nicer way of saying it than the King James. But yes, you're, you're not one of His. So all that the Lord loves, He chastens. So it says any good parent gives their children rules. Not to hamper their fun or restrain their freedom, but to keep them safe and allow them to experience, to fully experience life. Guardrails on the side of the road are there to protect you from the dangers of careening off the road. The Holy Spirit gives us guardrails to keep us on the path of freedom. Because what does that path ultimately lead to according to 1 Peter chapter 1? Salvation. Salvation is our what? Is our goal. And what does the Lord call our, that path that we walk in, in Matthew chapter 7? That narrow path. So the Holy Spirit gives us guardrails to keep us on the path of freedom. Freedom isn't the ability to do whatever you want. Freedom is living as God designed. What is God's grace meaning? It means that we can live free from the shackles of sin. To which I say, Amen. Amen. So we'll stop the teaching.